This podcast is marketing material for a South Africa investment professional only. Hello, everyone, and thanks very much for joining us for this month's Schroeder's Global Markets Perspective podcast. I'm joined today by my colleague, Azad Zangana, who is a senior European economist and strategist at Schroeder's sitting in our London office. Azad, welcome. Thank you very much, Condi. We'll spend around the next 20 minutes or so discussing markets and uh, giving you our most recent economic insights. Perhaps a good place to start would be to have a look at the performance of global markets across multiple asset classes and regions. Azad, your thoughts? Well, it's been another good month for equities and risk assets um, in general. Uh, the MSCI world is up 1.4% uh, on a US dollar basis over the month. Um, and it's interesting that we've seen the sort of the value orientated areas uh, of markets doing well. So MSCI world value uh, outperformed growth by about 3.1% overall. Um, small caps did reasonably well. Emerging markets had a good month, but in particular, Europe had a, a very strong month compared to, for example, um, the US. Um, otherwise, the big question right now is why have Treasury yields actually come down over the month? Um, it's been a, a good month, as, as I said, for risk assets and macroeconomic data, and yet Treasury yields refuse to rise. Um, and that, I think that's going to be one of the big challenges um, over the next few months. Otherwise, commodities also had a pretty good month um, in general. So in terms of uh, corporate bonds, we had uh, the global broad market uh, index uh, put together by Bank of America, uh, Merrill Lynch, also had a reasonable month up uh, 1% uh, or so. And then um, sterling or UK credit markets also up 3% um, over the month. Uh, and European uh, corporates, uh, ex-treasuries, uh, they also had a, a pretty good month uh, overall. Um, and even high yield um, struggled uh, to keep up with the corporate um, investment grade bonds, but still did reasonably well over the month. So generally, uh, good risk on uh, all round. Fantastic. Thanks for that, Azad. I guess we can't have you know, conversations about markets and economies uh, nowadays without discussing the vaccine rollout programs uh, globally. Um, perhaps you can share with us uh, your insights on that in terms of how these vaccine rollout programs are going across multiple regions, uh, developed markets, emerging frontier markets, etc. They've been going pretty well in the developed markets. I would say over the month of April and May, uh, we saw quite a significant uh, acceleration in the rollout, especially in Europe. Um, a couple of months ago, we were genuinely concerned that Europe may not reach herd immunity in time for the next winter. But I think that those fears are now being put to rest as, as things have been uh, stepped up. Um, in Asia, we've seen a, quite a big acceleration in China, and China is catching up now um, very quickly with the likes of Singapore and other uh, large regions. But um, the emerging uh, markets more generally in Asia, in Africa, and Latin America are still struggling uh, to um, accelerate the process. 
part of the problem is lack of resources, uh, both in terms of the distribution and also in, in terms of the vaccine. So things have been more sluggish there, uh, which obviously has been a little bit um, worrying. And now more recently, uh, the news has been around what we call the, the Delta variant or the variant that uh, was first discovered in India. That has now shown up not only in Europe, but also in the US and Latin America. Um, and we we know from the evidence that we have is that it, it spreads far more quickly than the previous variants that uh, we were concerned about. But there's no evidence yet to say that it's any more deadly uh, or any more troublesome, um, especially against the, the vaccines uh, that are in place at the moment. So we're obviously keeping a close eye on this. Right. And ourselves here in South Africa regarding the vaccine rollout program, um, ours is ramping up. However, it, it is still not quite at, at uh, levels where it perhaps ought to be. In addition to that, we are in, uh, I guess, our third wave. Um, it's been officially announced over here. So a bit of a double whammy there. Um, no, no, no doubt that uh, elements like this make it into the uh, economic forecasts that yourself and the team put together. Um, maybe for the benefit of our listeners, could you share what your baseline economic forecasts are for you know the globe, for the US, the Eurozone, certain emerging markets, etc. Um, I, I think in addition to that, it would also be helpful to paint the, the picture, I guess, of, of what are other scenarios that uh, you and the team are, are looking at at the moment. Yes, of course. We've we've actually just uh, recently published our updated forecast, and in it, we actually revised up uh, the growth numbers pretty much across the board. There are a few exceptions, which I'll, I'll come on to. So, global growth is now forecast to rise from um, minus three point five percent in twenty twenty to plus five point nine percent in twenty twenty one, and then in twenty twenty two, that moderates down to four and a half and a half percent. But to give you an idea that 2021 estimate has been revised up from 5.3% up to the 5.9. So quite a good um, upgrade. The US for this year, we're looking for 6.7% growth, Eurozone 4.1. The UK potentially one of the strongest at 6.8%, um, although it did fall by what well, it saw one of the biggest falls uh, last year. So that, that shouldn't be too much of a surprise. Um, Japan was one of the few areas we actually downgraded, and that's because they're also experiencing a third wave. So as restrictions have been introduced, economic activity, of course, has uh, taken a back seat, and uh, we've had to revise down those numbers quite considerably, down to just 1.1% uh, growth. India is another area that, uh, because of the surge there, we've had to um, revise down. Emerging markets on the whole, though, get a small upward revision, and that's largely thanks to upgrades to Russia, Brazil, and uh, China. Um, when we see stronger growth around uh, the rest of the world, especially US and Europe, we would also revise up our forecasts for exports to those regions, so the emerging markets benefit um, in that way. As I mentioned, uh, growth does moderate going into next year, uh, but it's still very strong. You know, four and a half percent global growth is still one of the strongest years we've had uh, since the global financial crisis. So ongoing uh, momentum there for some of the other regions that are lagging uh, behind. Otherwise, uh, in terms of inflation, we've had to revise up the inflation numbers uh, yet again. Oil prices have picked up a little bit further uh, over the last uh, few months, and that's really feeding into 
um, the data. But also because we've been revising up our growth numbers, we now think the point in which the excess spare capacity is used up um, in these economies uh, is brought forward. So we're going to see more underlying inflation coming through. Uh, but this is more of a story for 2022 rather than 2021. So just to mention, we have inflation going from 1.8% this year uh, at a global level up to 2.9%. Um, and then falling back to 2.5% in 2022. So our view is still that this pickup in inflation in the near term is very much um, transitory. But as we get into next year and more so 2023, you start to see underlying inflation pressures um, come back. Now, that's our, our broad description of the, the baseline. One thing I didn't mention, actually, is a big change that we've introduced. We've brought forward the first Fed funds rate increase. Um, it was in 2023, now it's at the back end of 2022. And again, that is because spare capacity ends up being used up faster uh, than previously thought. So we now look for the Federal Reserve in the US to start to talk about tapering quantitative easing towards the end of this year, um, actually start to taper by December, and then raise interest rates at the end of 2022. Now, this potentially raises a bit of a challenge for emerging markets because, as we know, uh, there is a strong uh, link between the performance of emerging markets, uh, be it equities, uh, bonds, or even commodities for that matter, and uh, what happens with the US dollar. This year, we've got the dollar uh, weakening against most currencies, which is, I think, good news for risk assets and, and uh, as I said, for emerging markets. But next year, we think the dollar might start to come back a little bit, and that might be a bit of a challenge for uh, those emerging markets, as I uh, mentioned. Now, in terms of the scenarios, we've introduced uh, a, a few new ones. Uh, we've introduced a boom-bust scenario. In this scenario, we, we're basically concerned that the, the rebound that we're seeing at the moment ends up being a bit stronger than what we're currently projecting. That then uh, prompts the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates faster um, and bringing about essentially a recession uh, by the uh, start of next year. So we go through a very quick boom and then a, a quick bust as well, so accelerating the economic um, cycle. We've also introduced um, somewhat of a productivity boost scenario. It's called creative destruction. Um, with a lot of investment uh, coming back on stream quickly, um, there is scope for companies to expand their use of robotics and technology, um, which essentially reduces prices through uh, efficiency savings. And as I said, higher productivity. So in this scenario, you do get some deflationary pressures, but they're the good type of deflationary pressure. So this is a very good scenario for uh, company earnings. Um, obviously, you get stronger growth uh, as well. And then the other uh, new scenario that uh, we've introduced is supply-side inflation. We're seeing lots of anecdotal evidence right now saying that there is uh, significant uh, pressures in certain parts of the manufacturing process, be it microchips, be it um, various types of uh, mechanical machines not, uh, with shortages of those. These are driving up input costs for a lot of companies. And those companies, given that they are faced with still very strong demand from around the world, they are choosing to raise their prices at the moment. At the same time, we're seeing um, shortages of staff in the US right now because of overly generous uh, benefits system. 
um, individuals are choosing to remain out of work and, and continue to receive those benefits rather than return to work. So in the near term, we're seeing some sh potentially short-term um, inflation uh, coming through. But what happens if this lasts for even longer? And some of these short-term factors turn into longer-term factors. And then as a result, um, individuals and workers start to demand higher pay to compensate for the higher inflation. Well, this leads to the supply-side inflation spiral. So that's a very much a stagflationary scenario. Otherwise, we've retained our trade war scenario with China. That, that continues to be stagflationary. We've kept that in there. And we've also retained the vaccines fail scenario. This is where the vaccines essentially don't do what they're supposed to do. And we end up with further uh, lockdowns um, as uh, uh, around the world uh, towards the fourth quarter um, of this year. Perfect. Thanks very much, Azad. Perhaps just before we close that, that segment of the conversation out, what would you attribute the probabilities to, to you know, these scenarios, the boom bust, the productivity boost, supply side inflation? Uh, what would you say those probabilities would be? In terms of the risk scenarios around the baseline, we've introduced uh, three new scenarios. The first is the boom-bust scenario. And in this scenario, we have an even faster uh, rate of growth in the near term, which prompts the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates aggressively, cause a slowdown and eventually a small recession to bring inflation back down under control. In the near term, this is a reflationary scenario, but actually it ends up by the end of 2022 being a deflationary scenario. So um, that is one, uh, a new one that we've introduced. Um, the second one that we've introduced is a creative destruction scenario. With investments holding up better than expected uh, in recent months, there is a risk that companies end up utilizing robotics uh, and other forms of automation to help raise their productivity and lower their costs. That should lead to um, improvements in efficiency and a reduction in prices more generally, and also uh, boost economic growth uh, at the same time. It's not a great scenario for uh, unemployment and for the labor market, but it is a very good scenario for company earnings. Um, and then the third new scenario that we've introduced is supply-side inflation. I'm sure many of you will have read about the various uh, chip shortages and shortages in industrial uh, products and raw materials uh, pretty much across the world at the moment. At the same time, we're seeing that in the US, some uh, individuals are choosing to remain unemployed thanks to the very generous benefit system on offer there, rather than to return to work. That's causing companies to have to increase pay quite a bit just to get those workers um, back as they need them. Now, these factors should be short-term transitory forms of inflation. But what if they last for longer? What if uh, those price increases end up triggering additional wage increases, especially in the US? Well, that could then lead to a bit of a in wage inflation um, spiral. So that, that is a, another um, scenario that we've added. In terms of the probabilities around these scenarios, um, the boom-bust scenario probably gets the highest probability at around 10%. The creative destruction gets about 6% from us. Supply-side uh, inflation gets 7%. And then the, the final two scenarios that we have, which we've retained, 
Uh, Trade Wars Returns, which is just around um, the uh, relationship with China and the rest of the world. Um, that continues to get 6% probability from us, and it's also a stagflationary scenario. And then the last one, the vaccines fail scenario, um, this is another one that we've had in the past. It, it's where the vaccines don't quite do their job because of a lack of take-up or new variants. Um, that's a very deflationary scenario, and that still gets 8% probability um, from us. Overall, when you take all of the scenarios together, we would say that the risk to growth is skewed to the downside and the risk to inflation is currently skewed to the upside um, with the baseline pro um, forecast receiving a 63% probability. Perfect. Thanks very much, Azad. That, that was very, very insightful. I think that's probably where we can leave it for this month's podcast. Really appreciate uh, you joining us and for your wonderful insights. Thank you very much. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up, and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance and may not be repeated. Schroeder's Investment Management Limited is an authorized financial services provider. FSP number 48998, registration number 01893220, incorporated in England and Wales. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation. Any funds, services or products mentioned might not be appropriate for all listeners. Please speak to a financial advisor if you are unsure as to the suitability of any investment.